Right, we are still uh, considering the failure that led to the exile. And so we're in Isaiah 1, Isaiah 3, and Jeremiah 7. Uh, Lord's help this morning, we, we hope to consider those. But basically, you had a church that was mixing the worship of God with uh, the worship of God the way he had commanded with uh, worship of their own ideas and even that which he had commanded they were uh, attending upon for their own purposes uh, for their own self-indulgence rather than to enjoy him and a symptom of that was that when it came to interacting with those who were made in his image uh, they were all too ready to in, uh, indulge themselves in worldly things, even at the cost uh, of despising uh, or harming or oppressing uh, others. Uh, so the Lord uh, is talking to people who uh, love to approach him. This is related to, it's been a couple of weeks, well, about a month now, uh, since we looked at Isaiah 58 rather than an hour ago or 40 minutes ago. But just reminding you, uh, Isaiah 58, uh, he says in verse 2, and this is a description of what they were like outwardly, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice they take delight in approaching God. Uh, and that uh, hits close to home. Uh, it must hit close to home if we are those who delight in God and want to know what his word says and are worshiping him. Uh, and then we find out that there were others before us who had those things, uh, and yet they did not have uh, the inward work of God's grace that uh, made that uh, an actual delight in him uh, from the heart and Therefore, it was not also displayed if the violation of the first great commandment, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, was not uh, paired with loving neighbor as self. Uh, and so the Lord has some pretty shocking things to say about what he thinks uh, of the worship of such churches and uh, such members uh, of his church. He's going to start out, uh, well... It doesn't start out that way. We uh, we are uh, jumping into verse 10 of Isaiah 1. We just don't have time to do uh, all of the exposition uh, proceeding. Uh, Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. And he's, he's talking to Jerusalem uh, and Judah. He's talking to the southern kingdom in the wake of God's already having judged the northern kingdom and exiled them by way of Assyria. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of, excuse me, of Gomorrah. To what purpose is this, is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says Yahweh. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight 
in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my corpse? In other words, not impressed that they have a megachurch uh, and how excited they are to be there. The number of them and the enthusiasm is uh, a herd of beasts spiritually to them. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my corpse? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Now that might actually be true in worship now. This was incense that he had commanded him, as if he was to say, our prayers are an abomination to him. Even when we say, in Jesus' name, right? As, you, as you've been hearing in Exodus, the, the significance of the incense and how uh, God provides it to show that he takes delight in that which comes through Christ, through the way that God has commanded so you can finish a prayer, children, by saying, in Jesus' name. But if you aren't trusting in Jesus and you don't have the life of Jesus in you by his spirit, and he doesn't, and he doesn't hear his son and see his son in us, not how good we are, but how good Jesus is, when we say, in Jesus' name, that may even be offensive to God. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. Why? I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. Again, this is these are things that were commanded by the Lord. Not in an invented church calendar. This was God's church calendar. This is the equivalent of him coming and saying, your Lord's day keeping is offensive to me. My soul hates it. That's pretty serious, isn't it? To think that that could be the case with us. That we could gather as a congregation for several hours and that we, we could have the public worship for a couple of hours and that God would hate it. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And you see the connection between second great commandment and verse 17. And God's saying, if you're not keeping the second great commandment, you don't keep the first. You can have the words and the calendar and the activities that are associated with, with belonging to God, but not actually love him himself in all those things. Not actually have for right now, although sometimes this word wounds us, it's the faithful wounds of our Father who is uh, performing surgery on us uh, and loves us and we come and we 
we have that fellowship with our father, like a child who has done something wrong and has to go into that talk with his dad. And, you know, there's a lump in his throat that feels like uh, uh, it's made out of lead. Uh, and yet, as he talks with his dad, and his dad has some serious things to say and um, some hard things to say, but he knows that he has fellowship with a dad who loves him, and he remembers those things later. Uh, I hope this is the case for some of you who are older. Uh, not all of us had good daddies, but some of us did. He remembers those times later, days of great fellowship with my dad when he loved me enough to, to address me that way, to speak those words of fatherly correction. That we would be in, enjoying God himself as we study his word together now, and then especially when we come to him through Christ in the assembly, to have him give himself to us in the means of grace, and get, have him give us the means of grace by which to give ourselves to him through Christ. And that that would be the main thing in the worship. And that that would be the main thing uh, in our study. So, not loving him himself and desiring him himself in the acts of worship was actually, it actually corresponded to, in their lives, not doing good, not seeking justice, not rebuking oppressors, not defending the fatherless, not pleading for the widow. And that on two accounts, because as we have seen, in the one, uh, on the one hand, all those people are made in the image of God. If God is precious to us, people will be precious to us. That is the most disturbing thing about the culture of death that, that we live in as a society. Not just that if we didn't appreciate life, we wouldn't appreciate one another and the culture would fall apart because that's a necessary foundation uh, of, of national, cultural, societal survival. I mean, that's true. But the reason it ought to be so disturbing to us is that they consider people who are made in the image of God as worthless and their lives uh, ready to... and not a big deal to throw their lives away demonstrates that we do not love and recognize God himself. And that's why the failure of justice um, among them was so offensive to God, but even more because they were a community, as we've seen, and in, in the instruction is cumulative. So I hope you're remembering as we go along uh, and building you know, line upon line, word upon word, um, this was a nation that was especially redeemed to display what God was like and to treasure what God was like. So there's a way in which Jerusalem was worse before God than Sodom, which is exactly what Jesus said when he came uh, and the way they responded to him. Yes, Dave? I've really been left. So with lack of respect for even the body itself, I mean, 
Well, that's true of the culture generally, but just as with uh, Isaiah here, um, it's particularly the churches that know how they're supposed to worship and are doing it that are in danger of being the most offensive. Because when we come with the outward forms that are supposed to belong to being transformed, renewed into the image of God and delighting in him through um, the application of Christ's character to us, the very things that ought to say, we are here in Christ, we are here through Christ, if we're not actually genuinely united to Christ spiritually, if we haven't been regenerated and don't come in faith that is matched with repentance of the life, then the name Christ upon us gets blasphemed. Uh, and the Lord describes that kind of worshiper's receipt of it as my soul hates it. Now, listen to this very familiar passage, maybe with new ears. Come now and let us reason together, says Yahweh, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. You see, he's saying, you don't have sanctification because you don't have justification. You're doing all of these external works in the worship, but not by faith in Jesus Christ, which would cleanse you and cleanse you twice. Once in his righteousness being counted for you in your justification, and you don't appear before God as, uh, as filthy, but as pure in Jesus. But a second time, because he actually starts removing filthiness from our lives by the life and power of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, making us holy, making us righteous. So they had worship that was offensive to God. And the answer was this reasoning, this reckoning with God in which he declares us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ and then starts to make us more and more righteous of character by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so he, uh, he continues, we're going to continue to verse 23. Um, uh, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your, your wine mixed with water. By the way, just store that away in your you know, data banks for when you hear people try to explain away the goodness of wine in the Bible, saying, oh, that was mixed with... Well, actually, God does not like wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companies of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless nor does the cause of the widow come before them. So repentance is a necessary preparation 
unto worship that God accepts. Right? Christ is the only worthiness of the worship. But Christ produces repentance in people. And if we don't have the repentance, we come to God and we say, I need Christ. So that when we come to God and we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, or we have all of the, the wonderful worship and theology of worship that we have, we come as those who have seen our need of Christ, have abandoned all hope in ourselves, have rejoiced in God's salvation, and the work that he is doing in us, which includes loving our neighbor, defending uh, the fatherless, caring about the cause of the widow, uh, uh, that repentance uh, is a demonstration or an indicator that God is really working in us. Again, this is not earning the acceptability of our worship. This is actually being in Jesus Christ. A couple of chapters over, chapter 3, verse uh, 13 Again, Yahweh stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. Yahweh will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? The, the picture there of people as uh, means to an end of wealth. Uh, means by which uh, you, know, you don't care about them except for how they can be used like a tool that you would uh, grind as necessary in order to use it. But now the poor are your tool, says the Lord Yahweh of hosts. Moreover, Yahweh says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty. Daughters of whom? Daughters of Zion. He's not talking about girls in the world. He's talking about worldly girls in the church. And they walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes. The, um, you know, all of the social dynamics of girls trying to, uh, to draw attention and manipulate by giving attention. Walking and mincing as they go. You know, using you know, a, uh, uh, you guys use the word gait, a manner of walking. Um, we don't, nobody uses that word anymore. You guys know what I'm talking when someone's gait? Okay, thank God, great God. Okay, you know, they, they alter their gait to, to look, you know, um, you know, to draw attention to themselves and show their status. Making a jingling with their feet, you know, they've got ankle jewelry. Uh, so that even the way that they move makes a little extra jingle. Uh, Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. Yahweh will uncover their secret parts. And that day the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, uh, you know, the dance outfits, 
the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, the mirrors. It's like he's been to a modern department store. <laughs> the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. Now let me say something about the, the prayer meeting. Um, I was having a discussion recently uh, with my dad. The Lord answered years of prayer on my part by sending them a faithful pastor, and they've been reforming different things. And he said, everything we do makes it look a little more like your church. <laughs> yeah, he said, but we still have women talking in the prayer meetings. I said, yeah, well, in, uh, in 1 Timothy 2, the women have a tremendous contribution to the prayer meeting. But it's the men who lift up their holy hands without wrath and doubting. What the women do is they come dressed for prayer. Not adorned with the stuff in the hair and the fancy clothing and the makeup, but having served God in secret with that modesty and those good works that commend the church to God because what he has done in the girls and the women in their hearts and they're working with their hands and all that other stuff that he mentions a few chapters later. It's, it's so helpful to have like just been through First Timothy with you all. Uh, as the things that the widows, you know, the ones who achieve that that prayer widow who gives her whole life to prayer uh, after the age of sixty, uh, that you know, even before she gets to the age of the, the age of sixty, she shows up at prayer meeting, and uh, and yes, the the men of the church are leading out loud, but God sees and responds to His Son. And his son is visible to him, not just in the speaking out loud of the men, but the lifting up of the hearts of those ladies, of those girls, who, knowing Jesus as their Savior, have been living out of love for him to serve others, not indulging themselves and not living to, to be noticed or to have attention from others because they have the attention of their God. And so that, that dynamic in the prayer meeting in the first half of 1 Timothy 2 is here too, isn't it? One of the reasons God hated the prayers and the worship of Israel and was about to bring in Babylon to slaughter them and, and to take them away was because they didn't have real religion. And one of the places that that was demonstrated was their daughters didn't learn to love what God sees in them. And they were so concerned to be seen by men instead. And so it shall be. Uh, he's, he's matching the judgment now to what led to the judgment. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of sash, you know, beautiful pictures, a rope. That's the rope hauling them away to Babylon. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. And that's not the you know, baldness that comes by disease, although that, that could happen too. That's the baldness of slavery. Women who were, were being hauled away in slavery and they were being shorn uh, by, their, um, by their captors. Instead of a rich robe, a grinding of sackcloth. Branding instead of beauty. Being marked by your new owner. Your men shall fall by the sword, your mighty in the war. Her gates shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. 
You think you were desperate for the attention of men before? Just you wait until there aren't any. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. In that day, the branch of Yahweh, and who's the branch of Yahweh in, it, in Isaiah? It's the Lord Jesus, isn't it? Shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Again, Christ is the answer to this. And think about how part of the offensiveness of what Israel had become was because of how it contrasted with what Israel was supposed to be. Well, now think about what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the Israel of God. The church is supposed to be the ones who are in the servant, the true Israel, Jesus, who is what the former Israel had failed to be. And shall we now, the churches of God and Jesus Christ, replicate the, the same spiritual disconnect between what we claim and say and present outwardly and what is actually produced in the life? And how offensive that would be to God. But of course, the answer, uh, the answer is Jesus. So we're under a constant threat of worldliness, uh, indulging ourselves primarily in, in earthly things. One of the symptoms of this worldliness is indifference uh, towards the poor, towards the afflicted. Um, and the underlying threat when we have this ind uh, indifference towards uh, others is that uh, this worldliness for ourselves and indifference towards others is that it will unleash an indulgence of the flesh. Now, I want to arm you against a false teaching that has arisen around Sodom and the word Sodomite uh, from Ezekiel 16. Uh, the social justice type people in the church, the woke type people in the church, even like the PCA left, will say, well, you know, homosexuality wasn't really the problem in Sodom. Uh, and they'll turn to Ezekiel 16, verse 49, uh, and they'll say, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And so they'll say, you know, it was because, you know, it was because Sodom wasn't communist or socialist. I'm speaking a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but that's usually what, what they mean uh, when, they're, when they're using this to defend their wokeness. But there is a truth here that pride and self-indulgence is connected to not caring about others. But it's that self-indulgence and not caring about God and therefore not caring about those who are in his image that produces even worse abominations. Verse 50. So don't let them stop at verse 49. Make sure you get to verse 50. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. And that abomination is the sexual perversion that ran rampant in Sodom. And that, by the way, is something that historically 
has arisen primarily in rich cultures, in wealthy cultures. Other cultures where they got to work 18 hours a day just to survive, they get married, stay married, have kids who can help with the work, uh, even even without uh, the the transforming work of the gospel, the Lord in his common grace has done that uh, in some cultures, uh, just because of how hard things were. But it's the wealthy cultures that learn self-indulgence and have all this time on their hands uh, that, uh, that have plummeted into the sorts of perversion that now plague our society and are even being excused in some parts of the church. So worldliness is a constant threat. Uh, And what worldliness does is it says, I love these things that God made, but I don't actually love God himself. And it's one of its symptoms is not caring about others who are made in God's image. And one of its consequences is the kind of perversion uh, that we see in our culture. See if I'll probably just read James 5 and then I'll refer you to, to Jeremiah 7 uh, and, not, uh, and not necessarily deal with it. James 5, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, but you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Uh, So again, Uh, the uh, cheating in business, taking advantage of employees, you know, these these kind of real concrete everyday uh, uh, areas in which their unrighteousness came out, it was a symptom of indulging one's heart on the earth and earthly things rather than delighting in God uh, and... Um, eternal treasure. And in God's good providence to us, uh, on Thursday we will have in the devotional in 1 Timothy 6, 17 uh, through 19, which treats that um, that exact thing. Well, Jeremiah 7, 1 through 19 is another passage that, uh, that teaches the same lesson uh, and I welcome you to look that up uh, if you're interested just to have it uh, further driven home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray that you would help us to love you, that you would give us by your spirit to have that which is from Christ rather than that which is from ourselves, uh, that into which we fell when we sinned in our first father, Adam. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us to love what you have made, that uh, the things that you have made pleasant, we would Uh, have pleasure in you as we enjoy them. But we pray, Lord, that loving you with all our heart would keep us 
from having our pleasure in the thing itself rather than in you who made it pleasant. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see others as made in your image and love them for that reason, that we would delight that you have made so many little uh, pictures of yourself for, for us to live among and that we would grieve over what has come into them and upon them by sin and by guilt. We praise you for the gospel of your son. We praise you that his sacrifice puts away the guilt of all of your people, of all those whom you will bring to believe in him. We praise you that not only uh, do you make us righteous in him that we may be forgiven, uh, but that you also then make us to be righteous like him that we may be cleansed from all our unrighteousness. We, O Lord, are not done being cleansed. We don't claim that we have no sin. We refuse to call you a liar. And so we come before you and confess our sins. We confess that we have not cared so much about others. We have indulged ourselves in this world. We have enjoyed being the center of attention, uh, of uh, wealthiness over good works. We are guilty of those things, O God. But we come to you in Christ, and in him we are forgiven, in him we are righteous. And we praise you that you are faithful and just, both to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of that remaining unrighteousness. Grant it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.